When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Is Governor Phil Murphy America's most anti-hunting governor? The case for that couldn't be clearer. Phil Murphy, a Democrat, has been on the record as being anti-black bear hunting. He has put out statements. He has doubled down on his support of trying to stop this hunt, which is actually very instrumental for helping to manage this very healthy population of the black bear subset. And we have returning guest Cody McLaughlin to talk with us about why this is a wrongheaded move, the implications for wildlife conservation, and the potential legal fallout from this very bad misstep. Cody also talked with me about what is happening in hunting, the future of hunting, the politics of hunting, and much more. I think you're going to like what he had to say. He is the go-to person for New Jersey black bear hunting, and I think you're going to enjoy his musings. Check this out and let us know what you think of today's episode. Hey, Cody, thanks so much for rejoining District of Conservation. Yeah, thanks for having me, Gabs. Of course. Now, so I saw Twitter and I messaged you about what your governor, Governor Phil Murphy, uh, is doing with respect to the New Jersey black bear hunt. And he just came out with a tweet about 20 hours ago saying the 2020 bear hunt will be the last. The New Jersey Fish and Game Council has proposed an amendment to the game code that will suspend the bear hunt following the conclusion of the 2020 season and remove the current comprehensive black bear management policy from the game code. What the heck is happening? What's going on with the game agency? And what implications does this have for conservation funding and just management as a whole? Why is he doing this? Well, uh, the reason he's doing this um, or trying to do this is probably the more accurate phrase um, is because, you know, he's backed by these uh, anti-hunting extremist organizations and he's trying to get a win for them um, because he's been thus far unable to take on the NJOA, uh, Safari Club International and the Sportsman's Alliance um, cause we've beaten them every step of the way on this. So, um, the, the issue though, the funny part is that this is surprising, not because we weren't expecting the governor to try to cancel the bear season. He's been trying that for years. Um, the surprising part is that the governor doesn't seem to realize that this proposal would not end the bear hunt. There's still a bear hunt in the 2021 game code as it was submitted to the register yesterday. What he seems to be conflating is the um, is the separation of the black bear management policy from the game code. Um, so, not sure. We're, um, you know, this is not the first time either that his staff has bungled um, a public policy issue like this, which is really concerning as a New Jersey resident because you know the staff doesn't seem to know how the state works. Um, but you know, and even the even anti hunting groups like uh, like the Animal Protection League of New Jersey and the New Jersey Sierra Club, which have been big supporters of the governor uh, on on this uh, bear hunt crusade, um, have acknowledged that this would not end the bear hunt in New Jersey. So, look, it's a real puzzling move by a governor who's hell bent on trying to end the bear hunt, which 
actually isn't going to do anything good for the bears. And it's certainly not going to be good for public safety or, um, or property owners in New Jersey. So just to give you the fast facts, I know we've talked about this before, but uh, in New Jersey, we have the densest population of, of black bears in all of North America. We have some of the largest black bears in all of North America, but also in addition to that, our bears actually reproduce at twice the rate of other States. So, um, after the governor cut off 40% of the lands that we had to hunt here in New Jersey, we saw about a 50% reduction in the actual amount of bears that were taken each year during the two segment bear hunt in New Jersey. Um, that has actually contributed to an astronomical increase in bear and negative bear human interactions in New Jersey, 93% more sightings, um, just under 50% more um, uh, bear damage complaints and nuisance complaints. Um, home entries by bears have doubled in the last year. And that's not including the the fact that a man was just uh, mauled in his own garage over a little over a month ago. And he had to get 36 stitches on his face because he was clawed by a bear in his own garage. So, you know, this is these have real consequences. And we think that, look, if the governor is so hell bent on ending the bear hunt, if you were to actually succeed, the NJOA's position is that we should uh, that the governor should be held personally responsible, and not just responsible, but, but personally liable for every negative bear human interaction, thousands of dollars of property damage, um, crops lost because they're mowed down by bears, um, you know, damage to garages and and outhouses and grills and and other um, uh, chain link fences, all all sorts of things that these bears are just you know, like a bull in a china shop destroying. Um, I, we think that the governor should be held responsible for that. Yeah, I mean, if it comes down to it and a lot of people will be affected and adversely impacted by the aggressive bear population, might as well. Let's play Let's play their game, I guess, <laughs> when it right. comes to that. Uh, but let's deconstruct a little bit why people are so up in arms about this bear hunt because probably because of the influence of Disney. And I think we've talked about this before where they assign anthropomorphic qualities to bears. Bears are cute and cuddly. I love bears like you love bears, but I recognize that bears have to be managed in Virginia. We recognize this, at least for now, we haven't had uh, all the animal rights activists try to upend our bear management policies in place here. But I have no doubt if, if, push came to shove and something happened in Virginia that the bear hunt, black bear hunt would be jeopardized as well. But do you think it's because there's, there's so much animus towards this, obviously due to a failure to understand the wildlife management practices in place that have long defined conservation and uh, habitat, habitat rehabilitation and all that through Pittman Robertson. And also do you think it's because of people humanizing these bears and not recognizing that, a management system in place doesn't lead to their decimation as a whole in terms of a population? Yeah. So look, I'm going to give you the unvarnished truth here on this. I truly believe that the, that a lot of the issues that we have as hunters today, which stem from, uh, you know, the rise of anti-hunting extremism are because we've done, frankly, a crap job over the last 50 years um, of educate of both educating the non-hunting and urban public about what it is we do and our lifestyle and of passing on our sports you know how many guys do you know and, and gals that were hunters in you know uh, in the 60s and 70s 
um, who today their kids don't hunt, their grandkids don't hunt, um, you know, and, and we just haven't, and look, a little bit of this is just inherent to the nature of sportsmen, right? Like the, uh, the overwhelming majority of sportsmen are people who, you know, at the end of the day, go out there mostly because they just want to be at peace in nature alone. Um, that, uh, that lonesomeness kind of tends to run through their DNA, which, which in the long run hurts the sport because, um, you know, you don't want to take, uh, it's, it's just, it ends up as a, as a very solitary sort of a hobby existence, right? It's also very difficult of an on-ramp, as you, you know, as an adult onset hunter to get into hunting, right? Um, especially if you don't have a, a good mentor. That's why a lot of these R3 initiatives and stuff are, are actually really important, you know, getting more people out into the outdoors, making it easier to get into hunting. Um, but, you know, look, uh, the, the journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. I truly believe that. I think that, you know, it doesn't matter where we, where we were, where we were five years ago, we've come a long way since then. Um, and I think the only way to look is forward and we need to start making sure that more people get out there and hunt with us. We are seeing that, I think, a little bit as a unintended consequence of COVID. I think the one of the few glimmers of hope that we see is actually a, a new interest or a newfound interest in hunting. I don't know in terms of the percentage of those being new hunters or relapsed hunters rejoining the ranks, uh, but we do see a lot of, let's say, new adult onset hunters starting to hunt as a result. And what is your take on that? Um, despite kind of the attacks on bear hunting. And I, I know many people don't start off with bear hunting and it is seen as controversial and whatnot, but, uh, I think people are going to awaken to the idea that this is essential, even let's say targeting or helping to manage bigger game is -hmm. also essential. It shouldn't be lambasted. There's a purpose to it and it's really highly regulated. It doesn't mean it's going to lead to the species as a whole decimating, because if you look at New Jersey, people see stories, bears going everywhere, invading, doing this. There's no issue at hand with shortage of bears. And I remember when we talked originally, uh, the PETA or PETAs of the world, the other organizations opposing the bear hunt said that the population was on the verge of extinction, which is factually incorrect because the scientists, the biologists, and others have said that they've actually far exceeded their carrying capacity in the region, they're in excess, whatnot. But what have you seen anything like that in New Jersey? And I know it's probably purely anecdotal, but I mean, statistics point to that more people are hunting. And do you think uh, as more people discover it, learn how to demystify misconceptions about it, do you think they're going to discover something like the bear hunt as being essential too? Yeah. I mean, absolutely. So, um, you know, it's a, it's a very short on-ramp from, from you becoming a hunter to you understanding that, you know, all these different types of, of game management are necessary and important. Right. Um, so, you know, 100%, even if someone starts small game hunting or, or deer hunting, my hope for them is that they, is that they find a love for all game, not only because, uh, hunting different animals is fun, but also because all of the different meats are delicious, right? For oh my gosh, reason. bear is actually really good. I mean, I've had bear right. meat before in like sausage form, but I've had bear stew, black bear stew when was it in Georgia, and it is actually really delicious if you cook it at the right temperature and don't contract. Well, and also, um, yeah, they make they make great cooking um, mm. oils as well um, from bear fat. So um, 
just like bacon grease. So um, I highly recommend it. <laughs> um, but you so, can also admire bears too. Like people forget that hunters are not just pursuing bears or other species. We also am- admire them too and want them to be healthy and su- sustaining as a population and as well, a species. As, I, as I've said before, no hunter who hunts anything, no fisherman who catches anything ever wants all of them gone. That would be pointless <laughs> because you would lose your hobby. Okay. That Indeed. would be like, that would be like saying, you know, that, um, that uh, I mean, that a person who shoots uh, rounds on the range wants all of the ammo in the world to be used up. It's it, it would be counterproductive. There's no point to it. So, um, you know, yeah, hunters um, absolutely have more of a vested interest in a healthy population um, than uh, than um, your average non-hunter, right? Um, and the anti-hunters acknowledge this all of the time, right? Um, it's it's actually their number one argument against deer hunting is that they say that well, um, hunters don't take enough deer, um, and populations explode where hunters manage uh, game because because of the fact that every hunter wants a big buck, and you know the the only way to get that is by having good genetics and management of a herd. So. Again, it's a lot of double speak by the anti-hunters, but going back to what you said about the growth of hunting, it's absolutely a banner year for hunting um, and and the outdoors in general. I wrote a story for the NRA's Hunters Leadership Forum back in uh, April um, and interviewed a local um, shop here uh, called Skips Outdoors about the uh, about that very trend. And and this was right at the height of the turkey season, right at the height of trout fishing. Uh, when we were still fighting with the governor over um, over the closure of parks. That's right. And, he did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's just another example of the governor not knowing how the state works. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it's, it's, I mean, talk about truly puzzling, you know, Governor Murphy, uh, you know, for instance, um, he had to furlough and uh, state employees in order to save his budget. So he furloughs, um, you know, he keeps parks open, which are funded by tax dollars. Um, this was the second round um, after we after we smacked him around about the parks the first time. And uh, and then the governor closes wildlife management areas, thinking that that's going to help his budget. Those wildlife management areas are paid for by Pittman Robertson funds, which we tried to explain to the governor's office cannot be diverted from fish and wildlife to balance his budget. And he wouldn't hear of it. And lo and behold, he can't move that money away from fish and wildlife. So he furloughed those people for essentially no reason. The funniest part about that though, is that he actually spent more man hours uh, sending people to erect roadblocks into these WMAs than have ever been staffed at a WMA ever in New Jersey. So, I mean, it's just, look, as a New Jersey resident, like, put aside the hunting and the fishing and all the outdoor activism and stuff. Um, put aside the fact that I'm, that I'm a well-known Republican political operative in the state. The most concerning thing about this administration to me is that governor Murphy nor his staff who run a state with a $34 billion budget have any idea how the state works. And that's incredibly concerning to somebody who pays taxes in New Jersey. (laughs) Yeah. And, 
kind of politically speaking, are we going to see more politicians like this? And I hate to frame it from like, you know, a partisan edge, but I think you agree with me that we're going to see largely Democrat politicians like Phil Murphy compared to Republican ones come out with these anti-hunting platitudes. And this is supposed to be a bipartisan sport. Like, don't get me wrong as a conservative, like, yeah, I want to, you know, support my team and our team. But I, I would hope that Democrats push back on someone like Phil Murphy. And I hope he conveying these sentiments is not going to become the norm in the future. I've heard inklings in Colorado that this could be the case um, going forward too, that uh, they're going to weaponize and uh, change their wildlife agencies to make it more so away from true conservation interests to preservation interests under these Democrat governors. So are we are we to be worried of, of this type of rhetoric becoming, let's say, mainstay in the Democrat Party and maybe even in the Republican Party in certain corners. But I see more so of this type of rhetoric, hostility to hunting coming from Democrats. Is that yeah, coming from you? Well, yeah, we absolutely need to be concerned about that. And look, there are Democrats who are um, who are pro-hunting. Absolutely, Steve's yes. Senate president in New Jersey is a prime example of that. But he is not representative of the whole of the Democratic Party. Um that is an anomaly worth mentioning. <laughs> Ergo, the the issue becomes that there that a lot of these, um, you know, and look, it it all stems from the roots of the Democratic Party, right? Where like they're they are truly the party of, and I'm trying not to get super political here, but this, you know, this is a fact that bears repeating, is that the Democratic Party, as it stands, is a party of coastal big city elites. They don't understand. The lifestyle of folks who are just kind of regular Joes. They don't understand the man on the street. They don't understand this this need for wild places and wild things. Um, to them, going out and taking a hike around a local park so that they can put a couple selfies on Instagram is a-okay. And look, that's a fine way to recreate outside, right? Just don't force the rest of us into that big city lifestyle, <laughs> you know, like the, cause not everybody wants it. So that's, that I think is the, is the differentiator between the Republican and Democrat parties is that the Republicans in my experience have been very pro, you know, just kind of letting people do as they, as they want, what makes them happy, you know, um, growth, opportunity, prosperity, and freedom, you know, yeah, that's why you and I have largely talked about the need for conservative Republicans to be very proactive on these issues. I believe it not from a selfish standpoint, but I think, I mean, a lot of it is innate uh, because many people, I mean, even people who live close to the cities, I'm one of them. Uh, I like to see sustenance and different ideas and this self-sufficiency come about. And I'm seeing more people around me and a little bit more inland from me, like wanting to do this. They want to fish. They want to hunt because they they were scared about the meat shortages uh, here in the Washington, D.C. area. But also... Um, As they should have been. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But I think um, this issue, we've kind of kicked the can down the road or we have taken kind of a weakened approach to it where we have to echo a lot of our political opponents saying like, okay, we agree on like climate or we'll give them a bone here. Um, but they they kind of toned down like that you can be for a federalist approach for a more free markets approach, 
all the still while like working in concert with the federal government, but not giving them the power to abuse and to make it difficult to work with, let's say, private and local interests, because that's kind of what's been the status quo. And even Republican administrations have made it difficult in the past uh, for conservation stakeholders, private property landowners uh, to work in concert with the government. But you see kind of a change now. Um, But we've kicked the issue down the road. And it's good to see more of them chiming in. Like when I interviewed Governor Nome, she gave me a great answer. And she was very disappointed. I love her, by the way. Yeah, she's great. Isn't she great? Yeah. So she she was like, yeah, we have to be better storytellers on these issues. That's what she paraphrased. That's why I'm paraphrasing her words. Um, but people can go back to my interview with her. But she was like yeah, we have to talk about these issues and, and be open about it. Um, and we don't have to sacrifice our conservative principles while doing so. Right. And, and that's, a, and that's exactly right. And that goes back to what I said, you know, for, for 50 years or so. And look, we can, we can point blame to whoever you want. Right. But it's just the hunting community as a whole has done a bad job, frankly, of telling our story. We have. That's the, mm-hmm. that's the bottom line. We've, we've not done enough of it. We haven't made it as public as we wanted, um, as we should have. And it's fallen out of the public eye, you know, and it was easy to take it for granted and assume that everybody hunted and every, nobody would ever, uh, stop hunting. You know, people still say that stuff to this day. And when they try and feed me that line, I tell them, look, um, the, the dominoes are already falling, so we need to stop them. Um, and the only way to stop them, is, the only way to, um, from there's two ways to stop something, right? There's the short term where we pull these procedural tricks and and you know beat the governor at his own game, etc. And um, that is a that is a band aid, right? The only way to stop this from a, from a long term standpoint is to bring people back into the fold of the outdoors, make them understand what it is that we do, why it's fun, um, why it's an important part of our heritage why it's an important part of, you know, being, being part of the locavore movement, making sure that people are eating locally, uh, locally sourced, uh, things. Um, and you know, just whatever gets them outside, whether it's the fa- their love of public lands, whether it's their love of, you know, um, uh, locally sourced foods and meats, uh, or interesting, uh, or interesting kind of foodie stuff, or whether it's their love of, you know, of, uh, of trophy hunting or what have you, anything that, gets them outside is, is, um, is the best thing for me. Yeah. And I mean, taking away the political aspect because it can get politically charged. We see when it comes to certain public lands issues, you see those on the left who say all these interesting stuff, uh, sometimes asinine talking points they put out there. And when I compared, um, Trump versus Biden, some people were not happy with, uh, what I had put out there because I, I basically made the case that Biden echoed a lot of what Trump is already doing, claiming like he's doing it for the first time Trump has neglected, but actually evidence points to the fact that Trump's administration has actually done this and they're working. Well, on well think nations. about, uh, think about the whole CWD thing that we just talked about, right? Right. The bill, uh, the ACEA. Yeah. Yeah. Heading, heading to the, uh, heading to the, president's desk and um and that's a that's probably the most interesting aspect of biden's entire policy platform on yeah. the uh, but also i i was where i was going was um even though sometimes we all can be divided i mean you and i don't really have much of disagreement i have some friends on the left who are in the, our conservation space and i i don't provoke them i don't try to really get much into the weeds of different issues but 
there are ways that we can work. I think even in the outdoor industry with it being divided and with partisan politics seeping into it, we can still work with people on the opposite side of the aisle. And there are willing participants on the left who want to work with us or maybe center left, more, more kind of moderates. Uh, who are willing to work with us on the conservation issues. And and we saw that with the Great American Outdoors Act, for instance, being passed. And I think there are opportunities for people to ignore what the media is putting out there, to ignore the partisan divide and come together to really put these policy items across the line and also to go outdoors and have fun and escape kind of the noise that we see on TV, entertainment and whatnot. Do you agree? Absolutely. I mean, I got a response. I was surprised from Bonnie Watson Coleman um, who, you know, to me is a pinnacle left-leaning uh, um, Democrat. I, I no love lost between her and I, but um, she expressed interest uh, or expressed support for the Great American Outdoors Act um, in, the, in the email I received back on for my comments. And I was pleasantly surprised, you know, so um, it just goes to show that even, even people start starkly on the other end of the aisle from you can come together for something important like that. Yeah. And the outdoors shouldn't really be divisive. It should be a welcoming place to all, regardless of even your politics too. And I I would hope that with hunting season being in full force right now, that people remember that and they like not hate one another when wanting to go outdoors to go fishing, go hunting, hiking. Um, Cause that's a good way just to, to remember your purpose to be grateful for the natural givings and uh, just beauty that we have with all these different resources. And I, I would hope people like take away, like all of us have our opinions, of course, like I have my biases, I have my political opinions, but when I'm outdoors, I really don't want to hear that. I just want to enjoy the scenery. I want to do what I was setting out to do and just to get away from everything. Like, I think that's what people remember. And that's why you see so many people going to the outdoors now, especially with COVID and just this desire to rekindle their love of nature too, or discover it for the first time. Yeah, 100%. Is there anything else you'd like to add Cody before we conclude the interview? Uh, what, what is uh, your organization? What are your organizations working on right now? Aside from the potential lawsuit against the governor? Yeah, so the lawsuit uh, is going forward. That's the most important piece, right? Um, right now, we're uh, we're expecting we're expecting a decision soon um, in the coming week or two. Um, so, you know, fingers crossed on that. We feel good about the testimony. Everything that we said was based in science. Um, uh, so, you know, uh, it's like you say when the facts are on your side, it's easy to feel confident. Um, so, in addition to that. Um, we are um, we are advocating for um, more commentary on the um, proposed uh, fish and fish and wildlife code changes um, to uh, uh, in New Jersey. Uh, you can go to dep.nj.gov um, uh, in order to um, make make that uh, make your voice heard on that. And then from a, um, from a sport fishing standpoint, you know, we're just, um, trying to, um, trying to make sure that people are aware that, um, that the charter boat industry is hurting right now, um, overall. And that's all, all across the Eastern seaboard, um, New Jersey, especially because of our aggressive shutdowns, um, really hurt them in a key, key time of the year, um, due to the COVID crisis. So, um, you know, just, um, making sure that you're supporting those, those local, um, local captains, you know, those guys are not rich guys. They're just, you know, 
um, the regular guys like you and I that are that that make a living on on uh, um, getting people into the great outdoors. So they're a key aspect of making sure that people have access to uh, great hunting and fishing opportunities. Amen. Yeah, that that's really important too. I think what's gotten lost is the fact that so many of these smaller operations are hurting very seriously. Charters, especially. I know in Virginia we had commercial or not commercial. We had a lot of sport fishing charters closed until like June. I don't know if they've been able to make up the difference. They've had to readjust their hours and little different tackle shops also similarly struggled here. And I bet all across the country too. So you're right. It's absolutely important to, to give them your business. And if it's a charter operation to go with them, if you can, uh, before the winter and <laughs> sets in, of course. Yeah. 100%. All right, Cody, this has been a great episode thank you so much for the update and i hope you guys will keep us abreast with what is happening especially if uh, governor murthy decides to go ahead with this very dumb-headed move yeah 100 percent. you know we'll we're, we're on the front lines of this uh and and the governor uh as i'm i'm sure i hope he's realized by now um will not hear the last of us until his last day in office so um mm-hmm. You know, Van Jay away uh, and New Jersey sportsmen are uh, are are not going away anytime soon. We're not rolling over for this. So um, buckle up, Governor, um, because it's going to be a bumpy ride. If you enjoyed today's podcast episode, let us know, specifically let me know what you think. I'd love to hear your thoughts. And if you'd like to see these topics discussed more at length, because we don't shy away from these topics here at District of Conservation. You can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to see guest announcements, past episodes, and other related content. Make sure if you have Apple Podcasts especially to go subscribe, listen to some past episodes, remember to download episodes, and if you feel inclined, leave us some reviews. All these little gestures can help us climb the wilderness podcast ranks on Apple, which we've made a showing on recently a lot. We had several placements there in the low 100s, high 200s last week. So thank you so much for listening and downloading. And it certainly helped because we had phenomenal guests. We had Governor Christy Nome and a handful of other stellar, stellar people across hunting, fishing, conservation, and shooting sports come on the podcast. And you guys have made it such a phenomenal month of listenership. I think it's my highest month of listenership ever. So thank you. And if you like what you're hearing, you like the topics discussed, please be sure to share the podcast with your friends. Encourage people to download us, to find the podcast, to leave us their reviews, to engage with us, and to chime in on suggestions of what they'd like to see. I'll be putting out a podcast later today. I'm going to do a double header today on the newly passed ACEA and what a Amy Coney Barrett nomination and subsequent confirmation will mean for gun rights and conservation and energy issues. I think you're going to like what I will be uncovering there. So listen, let me know what you think and uh, appreciate you guys listening and checking us out and giving us your consideration. Thanks.